Oh, Brian. So uh, it's been a full year of quarantine for me now. I think my first day was the 6th of March, and mm-hmm. it is now oh, about a week past that. So, uh, yeah, what a great year it's been. Boy, oh boy. Hope, <laughs> hope we just get to keep riding this wave. This is fun. Highly recommend it for every future generation. What would your life be without this memory of a year trapped inside where you didn't cut your hair? <laughs> Welcome to episode 389 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing? Good. I'm ready to sound like an old person uh, <laughs> based on our outline. Okay. Yeah, me too. It should be fun. How are you? Um, I'm 10 years older than you, so definitely old. Well, let's see where we differ then in our perspectives on today's topic. But before we get into that, huge shout out to our Golden Ratio supporter, Mail Brew. Mail Brew is a personal daily digest i use it to send myself a daily email of all the most important links and tweets that happened on twitter from all the people i follow each day it reduces my fear of missing out it cuts down on the time that i'm on social media basically it's a daily digest of the stuff that happened on the internet that's important to you i love it i use it i pay for it check it out at mailbrew.com dd to sign up for a free trial and then get 30 percent off so thanks so much mailbrew thanks mailbrew all right, we got some new VIPs this week. Another solid list and another, what do I call this? Like another minefield of names that I'm probably going <laughs> to beef. Yeah. Biff. Yep. Uh, I actually, here, this was nice. I got a message from Twee, uh, last name Long, Twee Long, whose name I properly butchered last week. <laughs> uh, and Twee was kind enough to reply and teach me the correct pronunciation. So thank you for that. Uh, I'll leave that invitation open. Feel free to message us on Patreon or just send me a DM on Twitter. Or don't. Um, it's funnier if or you don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave the door open. You know, I'm down to learn pronunciations. Anyways, yeah, yeah. huge shout outs to our new supporters this week. Thank you so much to Gabor Juhaz, Katarina Bruslova, Kim Rohn, Rod Blackney, Gerald Johnson, a.k.a. Machinic, Ashri Sharma, Raphael Vital, question mark <laughs> there's actually a question mark in their display name on patreon so very nice rafael vital <laughs> natalie lee catalina de leon beloc good one john rim ariel chu cristiano luis and alvin go what a list how'd i do 60 percent. pretty high i think higher than that okay but what a list of vips brian yeah well thank you all for supporting the show yeah thank you all right, we have a new format structure for our Patreon supporters. Uh, we introduced a poll last week on our Patreon trying to figure out how to solve this problem of where does the sidebar go? So mm-hmm. in today's world, the sidebar is included in sort of the supporter-only full episode, but we also publish a separate sidebar-only audio track so that it's easier for future subscribers to sort of get access to that backlog of content that they might have missed. Well, it turns out that's great for people who want to get through their backlog, but it sucks once you're caught up because now every week you have these two tracks in your RSS feed and you're usually archiving the sidebar every time just so you can listen to the full episode. So that's really annoying. So we had a poll, we had some conversation, a lot of people left comments, and here's what we're going to do. Shout outs to Gabriel Valdivia for kicking off this whole process. Mm -hmm. Here's how it's going to go down. 
the sidebar is now no longer included in the full episode. Instead, there will be a full design details episode that is published to all of our patrons and non-patrons. But if you support us on Patreon, you will now have access to a second episode track called The Sidebar. Mm-hmm. So it's still a shorter bonus segment, but it's a separate thing. So you don't archive anything. You can listen to the full default episode and then follow it up with The Sidebar. Shot chaser kind of feel, right? Yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds, I think. Okay. So anyways, all that to say, if you are a Patreon supporter, don't auto-archive the sidebar, or if you already did, go unarchive it, because from here on out, the sidebar will be a separate track that you can either queue up, or you know, you'll now be able to at least read the title separately, straight from the your sort of podcast queue, and decide if you care about it or not, and skip it, or queue it up to be the chaser to the full episode. So, nice. so if you'd like to get access to the sidebar and support the show in the process, you can do that by going to Patreon.com/slash/DesignDetails. Today, in the sidebar, we talk about our relationship and experience with NFTs, a.k.a. non-fungible tokens, a.k.a. come listen to us sound like old people for a while and talk about (laughs) digital art. Yes. Okay, a little bit of follow-up? Yeah, a little bit of follow-up from last week. So last week we were talking about, or you mentioned a, a CSS line height trimming thing, and I didn't notice it at the time, but later when I was listening back, I realized that you said leading instead uh-huh. of letting, and yeah. I, I wanted to correct the record there. Oh, yeah. Total rookie move. Um, <laughs> but honestly, all the vocabulary around typography, I won't be ashamed to admit that I fuck that stuff up all the time. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, yeah. letting, there's line height, there's turning, tracking. Yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of things, and like I can remember them for the short term, but otherwise, like, I guess I use the more descriptive. Like I would say line height. But I know that there's like variants of that where you can measure it differently. I don't know. I don't. I wish I knew all like had that whole vocabulary memorized. But I'm just a rookie UI designer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just for anybody listening, like, oh, if you're like, oh, yeah, it's pronounced leading because Brian said it's pronounced leading. Like, nope, it's actually letting. <laughs> I'm trying to save yeah. them from themselves, Brian. I think maybe this is just like a nice reminder that hey. We don't know everything. Uh, Grain of salt every episode. We do our best. And when we catch mistakes, we will try and correct them. Certainly when it comes to pronunciation. If you listen to our VIP callouts, you know we're not the best. So (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's get into this week's main topic. All right. This main topic comes to us from GitHub. Comes from user Klukes, who opened their first issue ever on GitHub. Klukes posted creating an effective remote design review process. He continues, I'm looking to create a design review structure for my small design team that would allow them to get ongoing feedback on their work and include the right parties, like engineers, stakeholders, PMs, at the right times. I'm curious to know what this process looks like at other companies, as I don't think my previous examples were particularly effective. What does your design review process look like? What should a design review be? And what shouldn't it be? What are some helpful tips for remote facilitation to make design reviews fun, collaborative, and productive? Uh, There's some follow-up context here, but I think maybe we can leave it at those sort of bullet point questions. Uh, What is a good design review process? What's helpful? Who should be there? How do you make sure it's fun and interesting and not boring and a waste of everyone's time? Yeah. So I think maybe the way we can start this is just describe our experiences because my hunch is that this is different for every team and every product and every company. 
And maybe it's really just about finding the right thing for your particular team. And by us sharing our experiences, perhaps it ignites some ideas of things that Klukes could try or other teams that, that are listening could try. Okay, yeah, I, uh, I've been in a lot of design reviews for a lot of different types of things, everything from YouTube to slot machines. So um, wide variety of different types of design reviews, but um, they all have some things in common. And I think the, the first thing is before design even starts, before there's even an opportunity for a design review, the feature or whatever it is that you happen to be working on has already been agreed to by all parties that need to be involved. That's leadership and eng and PM, UX. Everybody has decided, yes, this is a thing that we should build and do and spend our effort on. So there should be no surprises or anything. And once the design part starts, depending on how large the company is, but uh, not everybody needs to be involved in that, right? You don't necessarily need to have the PMs or the eng folks in there worrying about all the pixels in the same way that the design team will be worrying about all those pixels. I find that having too many people in the room is just a great way for conversations to start spiraling and getting out of scope of like what should actually be talked about. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I think... There's probably a happy medium between everyone's involved all the time and one designer kind of goes off for a month and tries to dream up the perfect solution. Right. I probably skew more towards letting more people in the room. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before, but I don't know if that's because I work at a place like GitHub where we build tools for developers and having engineers in the room is actually particularly useful because they all use the tool every day and bring a, a perspective and experience that's useful for me. But even, even at a place like Facebook, it's still, it was less, less collaborative in that way. But we still had Eng in the room for a lot of the process, really to like help us make sure that the design was going in the right direction, that it's feasible, or even unlocking new possibilities. Like, you know, designers, I think, can still get stuck in this mindset sometimes like oh that sounds hard and then you talk to an engineer they're like no that's actually not hard we could do that like, oh, <laughs> yep. sweet shit okay let's go do that yeah, <laughs> you know yeah it's usually inverted if i think something's going to be easy it's hard and vice versa so yeah yeah well yeah i'm not against having a bunch of people in the room like i, I definitely agree you should not have one person go off into a vacuum and, and design something and come back with the, the golden answer but i think it's important to have the right people in the room and that's not necessarily always non-uxers right like a design review and maybe we're talking about different things but in my mind a design review is designers talking about design in the same way that like an end review is engineers talking about code you know what i mean I don't want to be in that meeting. I won't know what they're talking about most of the time, and I'll basically just be bored or confused the entire time, right? I might be able to chime in every once in a while, but for the most part, I'm not useful there because of the scope of that meeting. Likewise, I think a design review, if we're talking about the same thing here, is designers talking about the design. And that's going to require a wealth of knowledge and terminology and a type of conversation that isn't as accessible to those other disciplines. You know what I mean? So in order to make sure that that meeting can move as fast as it can and decisions can be made by the people who are capable of making those decisions the best, I, I have found that it works best if it's scoped only to UX. And then once those people are happy with like, okay, we feel like this is a good answer to this problem, 
then you take it to those other parties and go, okay, here's what we're thinking. Is this feasible? Does this work? You know, but it should already be in line with a PRD that's already been written before you do the design. You know what I mean? So like, I don't think it's important that Ange or PM be there all the time or even for stretches of time. But once there's something worth showing, that's when you bring those other parties back in. But they wouldn't be part of the quote unquote design review in my mind. What do you think? Yeah, I guess here, let me ask this. If I say design crit versus design review, are those different things to you or are we talking about the same thing? They're kind of interchangeable in my mind, or at least in the usage I've seen them over the past 15 years or whatever. Okay. I could imagine that you might have like different, maybe it's still called the same thing, but there's like different phases in the project where different things matter. Like I feel like the middle part is probably more around what you're talking, right? Like Engine PM have already signed off on this is the thing that we're going to be building. PM has created a PRD where they're like, this is exactly the scope of the product. Here are the problems that we're trying to solve. I'm not prescribing how we solve them, but like these are the marks we need to hit. Now go figure out what that looks like and how it works. And that's the design part. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess for me in that phase, the way that I would work through that is... We have a weekly design crit, and in that design crit, it's myself, a couple of other designers, a design manager, mostly for visibility and also to give feedback and, and critique, and then uh, one of our researchers on the team at GitHub joins in to provide different perspectives that we might not have considered or is kind of there to help us get unblocked if we get stuck on a particular decision mm-hmm. about like, oh, do people really think about this feature this way? Like. A, a researcher who's involved across multiple teams can usually yep. bring in a little bit more of a higher level perspective on certain things. Also part so of UX really in my mind. Yeah, yeah. But then that, again, for me, that only happens once a week, but it's paired with two other things. So the first is that throughout the week, I'm sharing mocks with my engineering and product team. We call them EPD squads. Maybe a lot of people call them that. We call them EPDs and I'm constantly sharing mocks and screenshots and Loom videos and click through Figma prototypes in Slack. Uh, We have Slack channels for, in my case, the mobile team, but we also have Slack channels for individual projects. And so kind of depending on the context of the work, I'll be sharing in one of those channels. I'm also sharing updates to mocks on GitHub in issues where we're tracking the ongoing work of a thing. So for example, once something we've already agreed, it's loosely going to be like this, but maybe we make a few small changes. I'll just skip Slack and make sure that the change itself is documented in a more long-lived place like a GitHub issue. So I guess other teams might use Jira or or whatever it is. So I think those three things in combination work pretty well for me. I think where I get stuck is a lot of times you'll have a big kickoff meeting. You'll have maybe some mocks and and an idea of what you want to build, and then everyone gets to work. But throughout the process of building something, edge cases come up. Corners have to be cut, mm-hmm. you know, new constraints enter the arena and the thing has to change a little bit. And hopefully that gets communicated among all interested parties, including other designers that you're working with. But I think where I get stuck is sometimes things are about to ship and they don't look like what you might have critiqued in the past, right? Like maybe something showed up in crit and then two weeks later it's about to go live and you go, oh, it actually changed a lot from the last crit and I haven't seen it and I have one more thing I want to crit. And then the question is, do we need a, another like ship review, like a launch review? Do we need a design sign-off stage of the process? Um, does any of this resonate with you or have you figured out some solutions for this particular problem? 
Oh yeah, I mean, every place I've ever worked, there is a essentially a bit that's flipped. Of people put their thumb up and go, "Okay, this is good to go." We've all agreed amongst our discipline that our part is working as we expect it to, um, whether that's code or UX or writing or you know research or whatever it happens to be. They're like, "Yeah, this is cool. We should ship this." Um, and it doesn't get shipped if any one of those involved parties gives a thumb down. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Got it. And those thumbs down, are they, can you thumbs down like a visual design decision? So this is the difference between a design review and a launch review, right? So a launch review is a totally different thing from a design review. Launch reviews are about making sure that the thing is working as intended and like I said earlier, like that's where that bit gets flipped of like, yep, this is what we wanted to go out and it's going out. If something isn't working as intended, whether that's code or the visuals, whatever it happens to be, you can say this is so bad that we shouldn't ship it until we fix it. Or you can say this is bad, but we can still ship it, but we should fix it like right away, you know, and, yeah. and get it updated immediately. Or something less important than that. Like, okay, we're going to ship it. It's not that bad. Whatever. We'll fix it eventually. No one will probably even notice. But we notice, so we'll put it on a list somewhere, right? Um, but yeah, that's a totally different conversation than the, the design review. There is no, is this the right design? <laughs> like, I don't know if the users will think this is cool or not. Like, no, no, no. We had plenty of time for, for those questions to be brought up. The people who have been involved in this the entire time have already asked that question and come to this conclusion. This is what we're shipping, right? Yeah. So separate conversations. Cool. Okay, that makes sense. I think then maybe one more angle we could tackle here is like, how do you make sure that the right people are in those meetings? Klukes, the the asker of this question, gave some additional context that they're not always sure that you know everyone is engaged in a meeting or is worried that some people are showing up and it's a waste of their time because they might not have strong opinions or you know be engaged in the conversation in a certain way. So I think there's maybe a whole second area of how do you make sure the right people are in the right meetings, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Do you have a, a heuristic for knowing if you are in the right meetings? Um, I have one for myself. I'm curious if you do. Yeah, I mean, I kind of was talking about it earlier, like how bored I am, right? Like <laughs> yeah. if I'm bored in a meeting, I probably shouldn't be in that meeting. And I could be bored for different reasons, but the the bad reasons to be bored are because I don't know enough about this thing or the language being spoken is something that I don't understand. They're, they're mentioning concepts and things that I just am unaware of. Like that's a waste of my time and a waste of space. If it's a physical room, like someone else could be sitting in that chair who knows more than me and has more involvement than I do. But uh, there's a question here about like helpful tips to make design reviews fun. Like all, all the meetings that I'm in now are fun, right? To, to some extent or another, because I know what's going on. I know the project that's being talked about. I have opinions about it. I'm passionate about the thing. I like the people that I'm in the room with. It's inherently fun because I care, right? Yeah, I like the, the boredom as a proxy. And I feel like there's maybe two levels of boredom. There's what you've described is there's personal boredom. Like you don't have the right context or background or skills or ability to contribute in a meaningful way. So you kind of just sit there silently. I think that's mm -hmm. one angle. And then there's maybe this other angle, which is the meeting itself, like the contents or the intended goal of the meeting is boring. Uh, for me, this is usually like status update meetings. It's like, uh -huh. 
could have just, I don't know, written an email, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like have everyone submit their paragraph and then I can just read this while I'm drinking coffee or yeah. something on a walk. That's an indication that meetings shouldn't exist probably, right? Yeah. So in this case, if you have engineers showing up to design reviews and the engineers aren't contributing anything, the engineers seem bored, I think one, you should ideally get to a place where those people feel the agency to decline the meeting invitation or dip out early, build a culture where it's okay for people to say like, hey, I think I've contributed everything. I'm, I'm going to jump, like grab me on Slack if you need me back here. Otherwise, you know, y'all got it. Like, I trust mm-hmm. you, that kind of situation. And hopefully that leads to one, you would start to quickly identify like which meetings are actually productive or not based on how many people show up and who's contributing. The fewer people that you have, probably the less time that you need and you might end up actually cutting back on a culture of like meeting heavy process. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of that is if you get everyone showing up and they know why they're there and what specific angle they're bringing, what context or expertise or opinion, then yeah, like you mentioned, it should be inherently engaging for people to show up to something and talk about something they care about, right? Yep. And I don't want to say that you shouldn't show engineers your work or anything like that. Like I I don't want it to sound like I want to be excluding of other disciplines, but I think it's important to note that like sometimes it can actually be damaging to show the right people at the wrong time. I've done this before where like do a design, get really excited about it, show it to one of the engineers I've been working with. They get really excited about and they talk about it with their engineer friends. Then I take it to design crit and they're like, actually, this is bad for reasons X, Y, and Z. And now I've got Eng stoked about a thing that <sighs> can't exist, right? Yeah, so it's it's cool to show people, and and I understand the desire to show people, but um, you can kind of paint yourself into a corner that way sometimes. That's a really good point, and I feel as though maybe you only start to learn when is the right time just based on the experience of doing it over and over again, and you kind of develop a judgment for the right time. I've experienced situations where I've shown engineers early work because it's fun and exciting. It's like, whoa, what if we did this in the future? Yeah. But the problem was I was showing the right people this exciting, fun thing while they were kind of in the middle of another thing. Mm. And what I didn't realize I was doing was just being entirely distracting. Mm -hmm. And I think design, at least on our end, tends to skate a little bit ahead of engineering. Like you should have some sense of what the thing being built will look like and how it will work. So you're inherently just a little bit ahead. And so, yeah, towards the end of a project, you know, you start working on the next thing, queuing up the next project. And if you share that work too early, I think it can rub people the wrong way. And I'm certainly guilty of that. I, Even if it's the right work, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably still do it. And, and then, you know, like there's some engineers who deal with that really well. I think there's some engineers who are really good at containerizing the, their particular task versus understanding, oh, this is some future hypothetical North Star. It won't actually work like this. The designer is just thinking about particular problems. And then some people are better at starting a background thread so that they can start thinking about the engineering approach to that particular design or, or, or idea. But if people aren't quite good at containing or boxing off those things, then I think sharing things too early can be really distracting. Agree. Okay, then let's just round out this segment for Klukes with what actually happens in your design crits, in your design review. I mean, for me, this is straightforward, so I can just start, but we just show up. It's it's a set of regular people who have context on each other's projects. 
And some weeks, some people have stuff to share and sometimes people don't. And so we usually start off and just gauge who has stuff to share and about how long, how much time do you need? If we had a much more crowded meeting, then we would have to do this ahead of time just so you're not wasting a bunch of time. But for us, it's pretty small. So we just start the meeting figuring out who needs time and a person will start and it always goes, here's the problem I'm working on and here's the kind of feedback that I'm looking for. So, you know, we're kicking off a new project and I'm looking for high level feedback on flows and product and does this make sense and where's this going to fit in the app? Uh, yeah, everything from that all the way to, hey, uh, we are pretty close to shipping this. I'm playing with some type hierarchy on this last little metadata segment. And I need some advice on the visuals here, like that and everything in between. But just being really explicit up front, you know, remind everyone in the room the problem, give context mm-hmm. if needed, and then orient people towards the kind of feedback that you're looking for. And that happens for us once a week, and it's an hour long, and it's pretty straightforward. Does that sound right to you, or do you do, you do anything different, Marshall? Uh, that tracks. That's that is the ideal process. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay, an agenda. If you have you know sufficient demand for that time, otherwise people can just raise their hand as they have stuff available to show. But yeah, yeah, and like I don't know. I would say some weeks we don't fill the whole hour, and that doesn't stress me out. It's like okay, we're good. Light week. Enjoy your time back. You know that kind yeah, of situation. Yeah. I think enjoy the twelve minutes. It would be really painful, yeah, to get to whatever the forty-eight minute mark and be like, "Oh God, we need to fill the hour." What do you guys want to talk about? And like, that's where meetings start to feel like a giant waste of time. Like, right? You confuse the time box of the calendar with the intent of the meeting. It also kills any momentum that might have been built up by the feedback given during that meeting. People like usually when I get out of a design review, I'm like, okay, cool, I got good feedback. I'm gonna go address that and just take care of it right now. If it, if I'm free afterwards, especially if I get time back at the end of the meeting, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this now while it's fresh and I'm excited about it. So to drag on through the rest of the hour just because you have to mm. kills all that momentum. You know, awesome. All right, well, we hope this was useful. Klukes, uh, feel free to reply in your comment or in your issue. If it wasn't, we can do some follow-up. Cool. Uh, I guess, Marshall, from here in the new format, we go straight to cool things, huh? Yeah. Uh, do you want to go first? Okay. Uh, my cool thing this week is a YouTube channel, hey. which I feel like you will enjoy. This YouTube channel is called Musical Basics. And I don't know much about this person, but I somehow, the algorithm served it up. And Musical Basics is a channel that shares a lot of those sort of top-down piano playing overlays, you know what I'm talking about, where like guitar hero style coming in from the top, but it's obviously being added digitally after the fact. So what I like about this channel is he has this series called Composing Challenges, and what he'll do is have a challenge like write a dark song. And the challenge will be to compose a dark song in 10 seconds, one minute, 10 minutes, one hour and 10 hours. Hmm. So we always starts with the shortest one. Like, okay, I'm going to make a dark feeling song in 10 seconds. And it's really funny. Obviously, it's throwaway. He's like, uh, it's going to be like a minor chord. And he plays, mm-hmm. like, smashes a minor chord. Mm-hmm. Then the next challenge is he has a minute all the way up. 10 minutes, one hour, 10 hours. Okay, so here's a, here's a few examples. Uh, I wrote a sad song in 20 seconds, two minutes, and 20 minutes. I wrote a love song in 10 seconds, one minute, 10 minutes, and one hour. I wrote an anime opening in 30 seconds, uh, two minutes, 10 minutes, one hour, and five hours. Amazing. And the one that I really liked is uh, I wrote a dark song in 10 seconds, one minute, 10 minutes, one hour, and 10 hours. And the 10 hours one is fucking crazy 
because he had 10 hours. He ended up finishing in like three and a half, but it has like movements. He's like, all right, this is the first movement, the second movement, third movement. And the the theme of it came from a comment on, I guess, a, a listener suggestion in this case. And this listener was describing a bad relationship they had in the past and how they got out of it. And so he oriented this whole composition hmm. to this user story. He's like, all right, here's the moment that you stand up to your asshole boyfriend and it crescendos and it's like a big heroic thing. And then, you know, like he he really plays in that space. And I just thought it was really impressive compositional skills. It's very fun to watch. He's fast-paced, entertaining. It's really cool. And that's just one of the playlists on this channel. There's a bunch of other playlists of just doing crazy arrangements like he did a like famous classical songs you've heard he remixes and recomposes and he'll get collaborators to like build beats for him like he did the stubstep one where he like collaborated with an EDM artist it's just really fun fast paced entertaining music videos i suppose love it so yeah link in the show notes musical basics well i'm going to continue the youtube channel train here cuz i have two to share as well brand on a different note though so Brian, one of my favorite things to do is watch other people react to things I already love. I think we've established mm-hmm. this on the show before. Yes, one of my favorite is, things. This is canon. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Full on lore. So um, I found two female creators that are fucking awesome. They react to movies and they have different kind of slants. So the first one is Natalie Gold. She's just this really likable person who watches movies and reacts very genuinely. It doesn't feel put on or anything, but she picks up on things really quick. So she's not asking questions. Or if she is asking questions, she's asking the right questions at the time. You know what I mean? But she reviews everything, like you know, all the classic series like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, um, Back to the Future, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She's done a ton of those. But she also does like 80s movies. Like I just watched um, The NeverEnding Story that she had done. Anyways, she edits them down incredibly well into like 20 minutes, 30 minutes or so. Very fun. Totally enjoyable. Check her out. Natalie Gold. The other one is uh, Chanel Riccio. She is coming at it from a filmmaker standpoint. So she has a background in film. She's written, directed, acted done all these things before. And so when she watches the movie, she's kind of watching the movie the same way that I do. She's thinking about, oh, there's like continuity error there. Or uh, I wonder how many takes it took to get this particular reaction. Or I really like that line. Or this is foreshadowing. Or, you know, she's pointing out those things. So if you've already seen the movie, hopefully you've already seen the movie. This (laughs) This isn't ruining anything. But that's a really fun way to watch people react to this too, not just of like, oh, I didn't see that coming. It's it's that, but also like, oh, and that's cool because that's I bet that's going to play into some, this other thing later. Um, and at the end of it, she you know gives her feelings on the thing, but then she goes through the IMDb trivia and reads out some interesting trivia for that given movie. So, anyways, two uh, awesome movie reaction channels on YouTube. Love both of them. I've been watching a lot of both of them because they like watch all these movies that I love. Like, like I mentioned, um, all those series plus like Big, Princess Bride, Roger Rabbit, Clue, Christmas Story, Gremlins, Rocky Horror Picture Show, like all these old 80s, you know, classics. They're watching for the first time how they ever got this far without seeing these movies. I have no idea. But I mean, <laughs> it, it's always fun to watch people see something you already love for the first time. So enjoy if that's what you're into. I'm not a huge reaction video person. So Chanel Riccio sounds more up my alley of 
having like an expert's point of view or pointing out things that I might have missed because I feel like I could elevate my eye for things by learning how, you know, an expert might critique it. This is why I like uh, Patrick H. Willems or something. I, I like trying yeah. to get behind the eye of an expert. What's interesting to me is I don't know how YouTube ratios work, but both of these creators have insane sub to view ratios. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but for example, Natalie Gold has 124,000 subscribers, but all of the recent videos are getting four to 700,000. Yeah, if you look at her channel before that too, like she just started doing, this is Natalie we're talking about, she just started doing these movie reactions in quarantine. I think she started in May of last year, right? So wow. before like that, those, her videos yeah. were getting like 5,000 views tops, you know? And this is where it really started to take off. She's like your friend, right? She's like a friend sitting on the couch watching a movie for the first time. That's the experience of watching those videos. It's not about, she's not performing for the camera. Like it's a genuine reaction, which is fun to watch. Cool. All right. Cool things, Brian. Well, this has been episode 389 of the Design Details Podcast. If you are a patron, be sure uh, to go listen to the sidebar. It's now a separate track in your RSS feed. If you're not a patron and you are enjoying the show and want to support us, you can get access to a new supporter-only segment of the show called The Sidebar by going to patreon.com slash design details. You can support us for just a dollar a month. We made this as affordable and approachable and accessible as possible. And when you subscribe, you'll get access to basically a second episode, which you could queue up right after this. You could spend the next, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes or so hearing us uh, riff on what the hell's up with NFTs and digital art and uh, what the hell does non-fungible even mean. So if you want to hear us talk about that and get access to all future and past sidebar, sidebar bonus sidebar. content, go to patreon.com slash design details i had to get the echo in there you, you didn't you didn't say the sidebar so oh i, I didn't pause enough for you huh? yeah yeah it's cool all right well uh until next week catch you around bye But what's really impressive is this guy is very, very good. Even what comes out of this after a minute is impressive. Um, I didn't get that. Could you try again? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, hang on. How do I? So here's a. <laughs> uh, beautiful.